So if we can turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, and we'll be skipping down to verse or chapter 3, verse 1 um, on my signal. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous of the traditions of my fathers. When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I may preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none other apostle, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly prosecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Skip down to chapter 3, verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was running, I was not running, and I had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Thank you, Paul, and welcome back. I know that you and the family were gone on vacation for a couple weeks, and it's good to have you back. Uh, We appreciate you, and you were missed. Uh, We love hearing your 
beautiful, velvety, smooth voice right before my scratchy little thing gets up here and gets going uh, every time that you read, so thank you. And it's so funny to, today, uh, I, I think you're going to make the sermon today because your name of Paul, so we'll get there. So this is where we are. We're talking about the Apostle Paul, his life and his letters, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I don't know that I've ever had this experience, but over the last two weeks, I haven't been able to finish the message that I had planned. Um, I could have, but we might not have you back because of how much more I had left to go. So I'm going to hopefully wrap up the things that I had planned to share with you this week uh, and rip up, wrap up a few loose ends from the last couple of weeks. But we're talking about Paul and truth be told, this is what we normally do during our summer months. We'll go deep into a deep dive of somebody who is very important in the scriptures, whether that be Moses or Joseph or David or uh, Esther or Elijah and now Paul. And uh, as we go through, we see that these characters, they're not put up as some sort of heroes or stained glass saints. You know, they are truly just normal people and uh, they have a lot to teach us because of how vulnerable the scriptures allow them to be for us. You're going to see in Paul things that you will see in you, and uh, you see that in all the different ones, whether that's Joseph or Moses or Elijah, they're all the same as we are in many ways, and so we learn a lot by going deep on these characters. So let's go to our next slide and tell you where we've been and where we are today. We've talked about these things, the late Saul of Tarsus, the near-death experience near Damascus, talking about the Damascus Road, and then God's rejection of our self-reliance, and then today we're going to talk about the prep and the steps of Saul to Paul. Because the truth is, is that as we read the scriptures and as we read his letters, um, the letters are written by Paul. The things that we've been reading up to Acts chapter 13 are written uh, about the man named Saul. And I got to tell you guys something. Uh, the very first week, I was struggling because the name of the message was the late Saul of Tarsus. But I have always referred to him as Paul. So I had a, a Paul in there when I should have had a Saul, and I had a Saul in there when I should have had a Paul. I think I even had a couple of Spauls in there, you know, because I couldn't like combine the Paul and Saul together. It was just a mess. So today we're going to talk about when he really moves from Saul to Paul, and uh, we're going to talk about how he gets there and what it all means, and I think it's going to be a blessing to you. So Saul was known as Paul on our next slide you'll see here. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, this is the, the big change of his name. It's pretty underwhelming, to be honest with you. It's just almost an afterthought. But if you notice, Saul's Damascus Road experience happens in Acts chapter 9. And then there's a lot of him in those next few chapters. It's not him exclusively, but it's him sprinkled in there and a lot about his life. But then in Acts chapter 13, he's just about to go out on his first missionary journey. And there's truthfully a lot of time that's elapsed between his experience on the Damascus road and his going out in this first missionary journey. And they just simply mention it. The, the Luke, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, just simply mentions and it says, then Saul, who is called Paul. And the name Paul means small, which may have referred to Paul's stature. And this is where you, buddy, make the, the sermon. You have been misnamed. We're going to change your name because there's, you're 6'1", six 6'2", six not small, not, at least not in my book. I don't know. If I was some Norwegian Viking monster guy, it'd be different. But 6'1", doesn't seem small to me, especially because I'm, <clears throat> well, never mind. Anyway, but... Here's what is very interesting. 
It can also mean humble. And here's where I want to just slow down for a moment and talk about this. I've always wondered, as Jesus sees Peter walking to him, nothing changes in Peter except for he's being called from one ministry, I mean, from, from one way of living into the ministry. And he says, I know you, and you're no longer going to be called Simon, but from now on, you're going to be called Peter, which means rock. And so he changes his name right off the bat. But this is interesting to me, that Saul lives for years with the same name and then finally comes to be known as Paul after a number of years. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, and this is maybe more of a personal opinion, but I have a feeling that because of Saul's background, they were like, okay, let's wait and see. I mean, you can understand, they were literally being thrown in jail and taken before the Sanhedrin, and people were literally dying because of what Saul was doing as he was going after Christians and bringing them back. And so I have a feeling that it's a possibility that people were just like, let's see if he's really truly serious about this. And let's also just make sure Paul couldn't post on his Facebook or IG account, hey, became a Christian, so excited. You know, like that's not how it worked back then. There were people that were separated by miles that never crossed paths with other Christians from other places. Paul was one of the most um, traveled individuals in his day. And so as he went from place to place, it took a long time for the people of God to say, I've met him, and he actually is a different man. And I will just say one other thing. Saul was not a humble guy. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like Saul was a, a overachiever and he knew what he was. He was like, yeah, I, I'm that guy. I mean, I'm, hey, I'm that guy. Well, later Paul became a very humble man who was willing to serve anybody and everybody. I don't think that was who Saul was, but it's who Paul became. Are you guys all with me? Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so as Saul becomes Paul, it's not instantaneous. It's over a few years, and we're going to talk about that and what that means and how that applies to us. So let's go to our next slide. In Acts chapter 9, very interestingly, Paul, or Saul begins preaching right away. He receives this vision from the Lord. He spends three days waiting for his eyesight to be renewed. You guys may remember the man Ananias that came and laid hands on him. Brother Saul, receive your sight. The Lord Jesus has sent me to you so that you might be you know, once again able to see. And so it then goes straight into Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among all of those who called on this name? And so they're putting the pieces together. And again, I say, these ways that we identify people were very different than how they were back then. We didn't know what people looked like. We didn't know their pictures or anything like that. It was usually done through person-to-person -person or physical contact and somebody who knew this individual vouching, yeah, this is that same Saul who now believes in the Lord. And so they are blown away. Let's keep going here as we go to our next slide. And so this is something to learn. Saul's life is not a straight line from the Damascus Road experience into Paul's missionary journeys because 
there was a big stretch of time there. Most scholars believe there were about five years of Saul working, living, and growing in obscurity. And he was accountable to others, but he also dove deep and learned for himself what Christ wanted him to be and later to do. Now, can I just slow down for just a quick second? In our modern Christianity, and even me, I don't mean to do it, but I often talk about the, the idea of doing things for Christ. And, and I had a pastor that used to say it in this way, and it was always so powerful. He said, God first wants your heart, and then he wants your hands. That is exactly true, because God first wants your heart, and then he wants your hands. But there are people who cover up the fact that they are not close to God but they will do for God. And there are people who literally are not Christians who will do for God's work and God's causes, but God doesn't have their heart. He only has their hands. And so it's important for us to grasp this. God wants us first to be his child and then to do in his family and for his family. And so we can't get it twisted. If you get it twisted, you will come away bitter. I promise you, you will. Because you will eventually be discouraged or let down. Uh, I was talking with someone just the other day, and we talked about how, hey, you know what? The truth is, is that as, as little as I want it to happen, I am going to disappoint you. You're going to disappoint me. We have expectations that other people don't even know things about. But then we find ourselves let down and discouraged because we had an expectation that didn't happen. And so when that happens, the question is, do you just wash your hands and walk away? Or do you say, you know what? No, this is not about this person or this individual. This is not about a human. This is about the God who knows that they need a savior just as much as I do because I will let you down. You will let me down. This is just the way that it is. Can I get an amen? Right? We know that. Because human beings let us down even when they don't even try. And sometimes they do try to let us down because that's just the way that we're built. But Paul becomes the man that he is and later becomes first in his heart and later by doing. But do you notice this? Right off the bat, he says, oh, this is awesome. This is great. I've seen the Lord and this is important. So I'm going to start sharing with everybody. And so he's out there and sharing God's gospel right away. And then he gets sidelined because God has a bigger plan than just this small little section of what Paul thinks he's got. You guys understand? I mean, you cannot go from being the man that Saul was to the man that God wanted Paul to become without a whole lot of change in character, without a whole lot of change in the way that you would become, and eventually a change so dramatic that even people who didn't believe you were who you were saying you were would go so far as to change your name to a man whose name means humble rather than the Saul that they knew. Let's keep moving here, and we keep going. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26 through 30, it says, When he, that's Saul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And then we go on here a little further about uh, Barnabas here. 
sometimes we get a little bit of a lag. It's the next slide. It's coming. No, it really is coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. <laughs> Alicia, I'm sorry. <laughs> and when he came to Jerusalem, oh, it's the next slide. Oh, that is my fault. I thought I had something else in mind, but here's what I want to share with you very quickly. This man, Barnabas, who comes out of nowhere and steps out of the narrative into this new part, and he begins to talk about helping Saul to be known to the brothers. If you don't know who Barnabas was, he was on a long list of people who were a blessing and a help and co-workers with Paul. And I think, I think, <laughs> We're going to get there in just a second. But let's talk about this very quickly, about what Charles Swindoll says as we talk about how he goes from this place of popularity to a place of obscurity. Swindoll shares a quote, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people but for, what's that next word? Deep people. The deeper life is a subject greatly admired but rarely experienced. And then he goes on and he says, we sing of its virtues, but we don't embrace them. We long for its quenching waters, but rarely dip into its well. A life marked by depth can only be cultivated in protracted periods of time spent in solitude, quietness, and obscurity. Concepts foreign to those who live their lives at the speed of light. Now, I want to just share this with you, and I hope that you understand. I am like you, and you are like me. Uh, where is my phone? You guys ever had that experience, like where you're like, oh, hold on, where, where's my phone? This thing right here has changed my life. I love reading. I love podcasts. I love different parts of that, and they're all right here. And they're all available to me 24 hours a day and seven days a week. Now, I don't do the social media thing, but there are some that do, and it's cool. But I would just say these things help us stay connected anytime we want to be connected. It's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Because your work calls this your electronic leash. <laughs> Can I get an amen, right? They know exactly how to find you wherever you are, whenever they want to get a hold of you. But here is the deal. I love this thing so much because it's got all these entertaining things that I love. I love the audiobooks. And I even love audiobooks about important spiritual Christian things. Like the book that I'm preaching through right now about Paul, it's right here on my phone. And I can listen to it anytime. But you know what it is very difficult for me to do? To listen to that book or a good podcast or something like that and also hear. God's voice. And I'm not here to poke you. I'm here to tell you I'm poking myself. Because the truth is, is that this is a blessing and a curse. But all it is, is a tool for all of us. We choose what we do. If we let it, it can take the place of solitude and quiet and hearing God's voice. And I just challenge you, if you're a person like me who gets kind of distracted too much, 
if you stop listening to this, you might be surprised what comes in your mind without this putting something there. You guys know what I'm saying? Now, here is what he is saying in this passage that I quoted from the book. Depth can only be cultivated in protracted periods of time spent in solitude, quietness, and obscurity. Concepts foreign to those who live their lives at the speed of light. This book was written decades ago. Decades ago. Has it gotten faster or slowed down? (laughs) It's only sped up. It's only sped up. And so if he's saying that there, how much more do we need to hear this today? To know that really, I have to stop some things in order to grow deeper. And if you feel like the way I feel like sometimes, that I am skimming the surface and I'm not nearly as deep as I want to be or need to be, then what I have to do is I have to make a decision that this is not something I need to throw into a lake, but it might be something I need to put down and walk away from so God can speak to me. And it might be something that won't be easy for me, but it will be powerfully important for me. Now, I don't know if I'm bothering you too much here and poking at you too much, but this is a thing that we have to conquer or it will distract us to the point of even good things taking the place of godly things. All right, let's keep moving here, and I want to share some more with you today. Here is the big idea. We grow deep as we choose to balance accountability and responsibility. We grow deep as we choose to balance both accountability and responsibility. Now, here's what I mean by that. I believe that we change not in solitude, but in community. And if we are in community, we are much more likely to change. Some of you who are a part of our Wednesday night Bible studies, y'all know. Because as we get together and as we share the things that we share, you learn from someone else. And I learn from you. And we go back and forth and we hear somebody else's thoughts. And we think things that we've never thought before about a passage we've read 10 times, you know. And so as we have that connectedness, as we have that accountability to one another to keep growing and keep moving. But then you also have a personal responsibility. In other words, no matter what is said from this pulpit and this stage, as good as it can be, and I hope it's always good, but here is the truth. Your responsibility is your responsibility. You are responsible to God for your own growth. Because the truth is, is that you can come anytime and say, God, I'm ready to receive. Or you can say, God, when are we going to be done? Lord, I'm ready to get done. I've got other things and I've got other distractions in my head. My schedule is busy. My schedule is full. And I appreciate that you come. But ultimately, you decide what God does within your heart. It's your responsibility. And it is my responsibility to grow me, not to let somebody else be responsible for that. So can we say this out loud together? On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. We grow deep as we choose to balance accountability and responsibility. This is so important for us. So real quickly, let's talk more about that guy named Barnabas that we highlighted. There's a couple of lists of 
Paul's co-workers, and you see here's 21. I talked about how God rejects our self-reliance. Here's 21 people, and it's not even a full list of the people that were Paul's companions that were his fellow laborers and fellow workers. But let's go to our next slide, and I want to show you, you see here a number of people that went around with Paul, whether that's Onesimus or Titus or Silas, Timothy, Tychicus, Luke the evangelist who wrote the book of Luke and wrote the book of Acts, John Mark, and then others who stayed in areas and were there in certain and specific cities. But I want to highlight Barnabas. And yes, I think this is where I messed up on the thing that I was asking you to click through. So again, I'm sorry. But let's talk about who Barnabas was. Let's go to our next slide. Barnabas's first mention is here on our center slide. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who's the apostle called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so you see and notice here that ultimately Barnabas means the son of encouragement. It is about who he was as a person. His real name was Joseph, but everybody knew him as the son of encouragement. And so news of all that was going on in Antioch was reaching the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas there and he arrived. He saw what God was doing. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Our guy Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, taught great numbers of people. And the disciples, the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. In other words, this church was the church that changed so much in the ancient world. This was the model church in many ways, that church in Antioch. And they were the ones who sent out a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas. But do you remember who Barnabas was? He was the guy who went out of his way to make sure that when all the disciples didn't want to have anything to do with Saul, that he went and got him and brought him to them and said, no, no, you can trust him. And he got to know them and vice versa. And he was accepted by all the other apostles. So again, I want to slow down. What if Barnabas did not go out of his way to go and get Paul and bring him to these other disciples. Things shift in Acts and everything that's always been about Peter and all the apostles in Jerusalem suddenly shifts to Paul and all the people that are being uh, reached by the other churches all throughout the world. And it, the whole thing is changing and shifting and it's all because of this guy named Paul who people did not want to accept who needed somebody who would be there to stand for him and say, no, 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 this guy is the real deal. Let's accept him and let's bring him into this great church and then we'll send him out on this great missionary journey. It's all happening because one man who you might not even know much about, this son of encouragement, went and took a man who was on the sidelines and brought him into the middle of the game. Are you guys with me? Y'all hear what I'm saying? So here's where I'm asking you, who is it that you can encourage? Who is it that you can be a blessing to? Who is it that you might be able to go and stand next to and pull in to God's work and God's kingdom work that maybe no one else will or can?
I don't know, but here's what I do know. I know that you have somebody that you can touch and it's you and you alone. And if you do, then people's lives change. And if you refuse, God's work goes undone. Because truth be told, God's work gets done by normal people who sometimes don't get the headlines. Now, how many of you have learned something about Barnabas today that you didn't know before today? You've already learned something about him. Why? Because he's not the headline-grabbing guy. He's not Paul. But who is he? He's the guy who helped others to accept and love and send out Paul. If that's happening, then you've got something different happening than would have had Barnabas stayed on the sidelines. All right, very quickly, here's what I want to do. I want to go to Paul and his confidence on slide number 20, if you don't mind. So let's go to that slide When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me in his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and then later I returned to Damascus. And then Paul keeps going and tells this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas or Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none other of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Here is what Paul is saying, just in case you're missing it. Paul is saying, I stand on my own two feet. And let's go to our next slide here. He says, I stand on my own two feet. I learned all that I have learned about God from God himself, not from somebody saying, let me teach you this. Let me, let me teach you how it really is and really ought to be. And I want to just share this with you. Ultimately, I talked about it being your responsibility for your own spiritual growth. And that is 100% true. But let me just say something else. When you are the one who takes responsibility for your own spiritual growth, it shifts somehow. It shifts where you feel a confidence in yourself that God is speaking straight to you, not through a preacher, not through somebody on the radio or TV or any of that stuff. It's God's word speaking to you and you going, you know what? What he's saying here is, and this is how I make that real in my own life. That's why when we read on Wednesday nights, I always say, what is this passage saying to you? What's jumping out to you? What is God speaking to you when you read it? And what can we do to apply it? Because the truth is, you don't need a degree. You don't need to be a preacher or a teacher or any of that. God's word will come alive when you start asking it questions and letting it answer itself. You know what I'm saying? What are you trying to tell me, Lord? You're trying to tell me that I am the one who is responsible and I am the one who is blessed. You see, all of Paul's life, he took himself as an equal to all of the apostles, even though he never was there with Christ walking the earth like the others were. How do you come off with that much confidence? Can I tell you how? You don't go and ask them, what should I do? Because then you're there as a people pleaser And they are the one who help you to know what you didn't know. But Paul said, 
I didn't go and consult a bunch of people. I went off to Arabia. I spent time by myself in Tarsus. And I found that the Lord could speak directly to me. And what I share with you, it's not from somebody else. It's not from some other man. It is from God. And I share it with you. And later... Paul was so confident that Peter, this rock of the church, did things that were in hypocrisy. And and Paul says, no, no, what? I went and I opposed him to his face. I told him straight out, you're doing the wrong thing. How do you get off doing that when you weren't one of the original? Why and how? Because he had heard from God He received straight from God. He didn't need a man's stamp of approval on his life. And he had spine of his own to stand up and say, no, no, no. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know the God who called me. And I know what God has revealed to me. Now, why does all this matter? And why does this matter to you? Can I share something? For some of us, we are desperate for someone in this world to put a stamp of approval on us. And until that happens, or unless that happens, then we are desperately seeking something that oftentimes we will never, ever receive. If you guys understand what I'm saying, can you all say amen? So here's what I'm sharing with you. If you hear from God, the one who made you, and the one who is trying to speak to you, the one who has an assignment for you, the one who has called you for something specific in your life, if you hear from him, man's voices seem really distant and really pretty weak. But if the only thing that you are seeking in your life is for someone out there, some human voice to say, you are good, and you are worthy, and you have value, I promise you that is, an, that is in every way a formula for failure and frustration. And if you've ever been there, can I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, because there are people that you want to love and accept you that will never want to love and accept you the way that you're hoping, but you have somebody who can resonate within your very soul in a way that no one else can and no one else will. And there is acceptance to be found there, but you might be seeking it through a third party when you can go straight to the source. And it's 100% different when that is what's going on. So just be confident in the way that Paul was. He said, you know what? I don't need man's opinion. I don't need the other apostles to say, you're a good apostle. Pat you on the back. No, no. I didn't do that. I didn't seek their approval. I went straight to the source and God said, you are approved. Jesus is our own teacher. And as we seek to know him and grow in knowledge and dependence on him as Paul did, then we become that person that is vital that is timeless, that has spine, that has a a characteristic and a quality about them that is different than what the world has so much of, that characteristic and that quality of depth that we desperately need. And it doesn't come about unless you make yourself accountable to grow and responsible for your own growth. And later... The gospel I preached is not of human origin. 
I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from who? From the Lord himself, from Jesus Christ. Let's keep moving. And I know we're just about done. So Paul is adamant in his life, and we've already talked about this. So let's keep moving here as we keep going to our next slide. Three things we must develop. I'm going to hit them literally. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the first thing. A dependence on God rather than on self. The next thing that we must develop is an interdependence on God's people. If you guys have ever noticed it or thought about it, I talk about this every single thing that I send out before uh, you come on Sunday mornings, an email that hits your box. And I tell you, I hope that you will come to be blessed and I hope you will come to be a blessing. Here's the problem for most of us. Some of us come to be blessed and never think about how can I also be a blessing. This is the responsibility to be blessed from God, but also to be a blessing. This is the responsibility and the accountability in God's family. How we are interdependent on one another, how we don't go through life alone, how we encourage one another and pray for one another, how you are a ministry to one another and a blessing to each other. But also some days you come in and you just need a blessing. And can I just say again, for many of us, we usually do one or the other, but we don't come with the idea of doing both every single Sunday. But if we would, things would change for you and for others. Let's keep moving on the third thing that we must develop, a rhythm of growth in both grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's from 2 Peter 3.18. Now, let me just share this with you very quickly. Do you guys remember that old, song, uh, that old uh, scripture that says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up? Y'all remember that? From 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And so it is important that you understand that you should be growing in knowledge of the Lord, but you should also be growing in grace and how you treat others and love others and engage with others. That's from 2 Peter 3.18, which is literally one of the first five scriptures I memorized when I was a little kid. And I memorized it from the King James Version. It's like this. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. And Okay, hold on. I'm, I'm grown now. I don't have to do it in my kid's voice. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. It's a command from God to you and from God to me that we are not just to grow in knowledge, which, which puffs up, but also in grace, which builds up. So it's not just to be blessed, but it is also to what? Be a blessing. All right, let's keep moving here. We're almost finished. Here is your big question. Are you accountable and are you responsible? Are you accountable? And is it to, if you are, then who is it to? And how transparent are you with those people that you're accountable to? And then are you responsible? Or do you wait for somebody else to be the catalyst for you all the time? And when you're not growing in your spiritual life, is it somebody else's fault? Or is it, you know, I, my, my head's not in the right place. My heart is shifted and I need that back. Because it's not just a plan that we need, but it is also a following of that plan that we have. So we got to be responsible. And by the way, no plan is magic. The best plan that I can give you is the one that you will do. <laughs> the, the, the smallest amount that you will actually do is better than the biggest amount that you hope to do but won't. Just saying. Let's go to our next slide. 
And here's how you apply. You look for someone that you can be a blessing to and then actually do that. And then you develop a rhythm of growth that includes both knowledge and grace. One quote and then one picture that I want to share with you. Let's go to our final couple of slides here. At the end of this chapter, Chuck Swindoll says, this is a prayer. He says, may God cultivate within us a greater hunger for authenticity as he grows us into deep people who keep a lot more behind the counter than we ever have on display. I got to stop for a minute and tell you that the reason that I stand behind a pulpit every Sunday is because the man that I grew up watching standing behind the pulpit every single Sunday, whose name is Jim Puckett, my dad, the reason I'm here is because everything that he appeared to be when he was standing here was who he was at home. He was more of a good man at home than he even was behind the pulpit. He had more to give than people even saw. That's the kind of life that changes lives. And here he says, may we be people who have more behind the counter than we ever put on display. And can I tell you something? Our world is full of people who put everything on display and have nothing left behind the counter. You know what I'm saying? Like they are everything that they hope to be is right out here in front of everybody, but who they actually are is disappointing and hollow. I feel like we as Christians of all people should be people who have more to give and people would meet us and go, there's more to that man or that woman than meets the eye. There's more to them than you might've known on the first encounter with them. They have more to offer. They have more to give. There's substance, there's spine, there's heft, there's timelessness, there's quality to that person that is just not found everywhere. Why? Because we know God and we've heard directly from him. He goes on, may he forge within us the character of men and women like Moses and Joseph, David and Elijah, Ruth and Esther, and yes, Saul, who grew deep in the desert of Arabia. As Saul was in the quiet solitude, he was growing deeper and becoming a person ready to shoulder the burden of missionary journeys, to put his literal life on the line for the gospel that he was preaching. And it's all happening when nobody is watching and when nothing is keeping him from hearing the voice of God. All right, so let's go to this next slide as I close here. You guys see what this is? Does this bring this old statement, to that old saying to your mind? It's just the tip of the iceberg. Y'all have heard that, right? I don't know if every one of you have heard that before, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. Here is what I found out about icebergs. Um, when I kind of looked them up real quickly, let me just share. Usually icebergs have about 12.5% of their mass that is visible. That's what is meant by the saying, just the tip of the iceberg. In other words, there's more to that than what you see. In some ways, I hope that you and I will be like that iceberg, that there is something that is attractive about us, the quality that we share with the people but there is so much more in depth to us than can be seen. There's more behind the counter than out front in the display. There's more than what is seen initially because we have that, that, 
that quality of depth from God that comes from him and him alone. And I hope that that is true in your life and I want it to be true in mine. Heavenly Father, as we close today, we thank you for the man Saul who became the man Paul, who was a man of one type and character and then became a totally different individual who became humble and willing to serve any and all that he came across, not because he couldn't come up with his own strength, but because in the strength that you gave him, he was willing to humble himself in every single way for every single person that he met. God, make us that kind of person where there is more to us than meets the eye and where there is more to us than people know. That there is a depth to us that relies upon you as our source of strength. Make us your own and make us for yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone together said...